Cock and Bull podcast. It's a history thing. I am Spencer, and over there is Nathan. Nathan, you're all dead. You're all dead. We haven't done one of these since Rona started, have we? Everyone's dead. This is bad. They're not moving, and that that bothers They're, me. This is have we we've been literally locked in our respective homes, where the only thing ostensibly we should be able to do is sit in rooms and record podcasts, and yet nothing. And yet nothing. Even Blunder Phonics has gone off its weekly rails. I mean, I mean, Mark's, Mark's just, madness will literally never die. It is an eternal thing uh, that will... That if will, you had a year's worth of backlog, I certainly hope it wouldn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I wish I wish I had a year. Even the death of a host will only delay it for reasonably about eight months. Uh, give or take, give or take. It's sort of like if the sun were to go out, it would take us about a day to notice it. That's probably not true at all. <laughs> Nathan, July 26th, 1872. If this is about the sun, that was the best transition ever. Otherwise... Proceed. Joseph Barcroft was a Dr. Phil looking son of a bitch born in Newry, a bustling river port in Northern Ireland. Of course he was. He was born to a Quaker family. Oh. His father being Henry Barcroft and his mother Anna McColmson. I'm assuming that Henry Barcroft was, in fact, the guy on the Quaker Oats box. That's that mm-hmm. guy. He was. Good. He All right, was. Good. There he, we go. Very, very smug. Looks like he's a great he recipe. He really does look like a smoke. He's like, I'm getting into heaven. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to guess how many children I have? You're going to be wrong by 10. <laughs> One way or another, I won't tell. Meep. Joseph was the second of five children, surprisingly little for a Quaker family. Wait, so I'm assuming the first one died then? I think so. I believe he had an older brother that died. This is a cock and bull. We can, we can safely assume at least two thirds of the children are dead. His parents were originally from Lancashire, England. His father, aged 40 by Henry's birth, was already a well-accomplished man by this time, having risen through the ranks of the English military and having invented the Boss Brook machine, a mechanism that expanded the capacity of looms. Okay, so he he made people be able to weave better. He made the extended mag for your linen machine. I was literally trying to find that joke in there somewhere, but no, you got it. You got there. Those are his royalties. That's what what little Joseph gets to live off of. So Joseph's upbringing was somewhat odd for the son of such an accomplished inventor and the founder of both a library and a technical school. And an oats brand. (laughs) And an oats brand. Untraditional for all of these things. An in-law to the Barcroft family described a family tradition of letting the kids just enjoy life for a bit, not bothering them with any sort of academia until they were at least seven years old. Okay, Okay, now, that in and of itself... I'm not like it's not bad for today. It's like that's right? basically I mean, like delay kindergarten by a year or two and just call it a day. Sure. Like let them chill out. Let kids be kids. Come on. Now this of course means that they didn't bother him with any reading, yeah, writing or arithmetic. Those are the 3 Rs that I've been told, yes. He spent the bulk of his school years at the quote friends school. In Budham, York. I feel like that isn't that a Quaker thing? Like the friends of, and they're friendly. Everyone's everyone's friends with everybody else. They're very chi- they're very it, chill folk. It's among the most Quaker sounding things I've ever heard. Of he went to the friends school after he abstained from reading for seven years. Now to be years. clear, this is when we say the friends school. This is not the da 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 da, da friends, right? He's not he's not no, learning no, no, about no, no. Joey's is, great antics. It's <laughs> no periods have invaded this word. It is a sing- it's no acronyms here. No acronyms here. Okay, good, good, good. No good to know. Now uh, something something lawyer. 
lawyer something something doctor. I can I can I mean, only say it so many times in so many ways. I was about to say at some point it just becomes it, it should be assumed at a certain level that yes, that's the path he they take. He cock and bold. That's that's the best way to put he it. He cock and bold. If if we don't get that man into a verb, we're we're failing. Uh, more precisely, he he studied physiology after enrolling the King's College of Cambridge. He ditches the lawyer program. He becomes a a physiologist. So this is at the King's College of Cambridge in 1894. It is the tried and true backstory of every wild doctor we talk about. Yeah. No, yeah, so far, par for the course. As much as I want to skip the cliche origin of every cock and bull, it's always someone's first episode, and I'll be damned if I'm going to give them a, a subpar <laughs> st- podcast deflowering. <laughs> it is different. Like, we really could, like, we need to make, like, a flow chart, like, went to, became a lawyer doctor, went to King's College, had a weird childhood. Like, you, you've all gone straight down. No one has deviated yet on our fun flow chart. Barcroft did quite well in his studies, obtaining his first class honors in the natural sciences. So he's uh, he's like the valedictorian of Zobot, like a Professor Oak, if you will. Okay. All right. I do I do love whenever they say natural sciences, I always compare those with like, what are the unnatural science? Like, are, are, is like necromancy the thing that they're comparing this against? It's those damn phrenologists. Oh, God, man. If they weren't so actually out there and about, that would be funnier. But no, you're probably right. Yeah, it's a lot of that. A lot of that. Not only was he uh, king of the nerds. But he then won the, quote, Fellow of Kings Award. I mean, he's no, that's no king of the dudes, but I'm intrigued. What is this? Uh, something very Quakery. it sounds like. <laughs> I'm assuming it has something to do with the fact that he's at the King's College. It does sound accurate. They, they do love them a king. He then won awards in both biological and physiological research and was also issued the post of a university lecturer for Ooh. natural sciences, lecturing at the very same school he graduated from. That does seem that does seem a little pomp, you know. Oh well, uh, he he's you know he's just the first day of class. He's just sitting amongst the students. Like, when's this professor gonna show up? Huh? <laughs> Fifteen minutes and we can leave. Wait, I'm the professor. Whoa, mind blown. As per his hobbies, because I know you're just dying. I really to know. am. Likes, dislikes, hobbies, all those things. Give me a, give me a dating profile. Dude's really into golf. Well, that's upsetting. Now, this was the 1890s, so this is when golf's coming into fashion. It's trendy. I don't like to believe that golf was ever trendy, um, and and the fact that you're making me reconcile that belief is upsetting. Hey, now, if there's anything our 25-year-old cousin and our 70-year-old grandfather have in common, it's golf. (sighs) The grand, yes, the king's game. Let's let's go play some ball chess. Let's, Let's knock it out of the park. Golf, Nathan, really is the common interest of every relative we don't know how to converse with. Not, that's not true. We've got some on mom's side that are, are putting out some very interesting <laughs> theories on where the virus came from. And uh, she's a whole nother. I don't think she golfs. Around 1914, Barcroft made a name for himself internationally Uh-oh. with a paper on gas. The state of matter, not petrol. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. You went with that. I was going with farts. I was going to make a fart joke. It still could be. It still could be. With the you know what? You're not I've wrong. It could be. Please tell me it, I'm right. It wasn't, though. Damn it. Uh, It was gas and how it travels through the blood. Uh, This was called, quote, the respiratory function of the blood. Let me tell you. Now, that that does sound. Now, hold on. He knows that blood's important for breathing. Mm -hmm. That's a step in the right goddamn direction for our uh, cock and bull doctors right now. Good, sir. I know. 1914. He's he's He's, already said something not incorrect. He's not injecting them with rocket fuel. And let me tell you, Nathan. It's a barn burner. This this book. It's a big literary barn burner. All 319 pages of it. Woof! 
Probably. I didn't read it. Are you fucking okay. kidding me? Of course not. Wolf 319, my man. It's like a, a, a The Shining level there. That's that's a that's a long one. There is, however, a palpable character trait that we can pull from this book's preface. <clears throat> Quote, at one time, which seems too long ago, most of my leisure was spent in boats. Oh, go, oh, go. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. Oh, dear. In them, I learned what little I know of research, not of technique or of physiology, but of the qualities essential to those who would venture beyond the visible horizon. End quote. He goes on. Oh, God. I don't like, quote, I don't like this boat boy. <laughs> Any merit which attaches to my narrative lies in the fact that it is, in some sense, firsthand. I have refrained from discussing subjects which I have not actually touched. End quote. Okay, all right, I can get behind that. That's some mal. That's some mal shit right there. That's some yeah. theory and practice. You know, you gotta you gotta get in there. You can't know how to how to cut the eat the pear until you've experimented with the pear. You gotta you gotta really sure. get in there and 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 get your hands dirty. I like don't this. know where don't know where the pear metaphor comes in, but I'll trust you on that one. To continue, yeah, go go read some mal, guys. To continue what the running trend of what I'm calling season three of the Cock and Bull, uh, we're talking about yet another man who prides himself on being right in the front lines of his research and experimentation. Oh, no. I for Guys, it's been so long since we've recorded. I forgot that is the trend for this season. Oh, God, I'm now worried. What what gases is he putting in his blood, Spencer? Spencer, what gas is he putting in his blood? Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, God damn it, no. The things you'll inhale on this one. No. Now, while his 300-page article on blood got him some steam in all the medical circles, that one's uh, a fair bit boring for my standards. If I had to pick between, like, Dark Tower or the one where Joseph gets dizzy hiking up a mountain, I'm going to see what Roland's up to. Oh, we're doing dizzy getting up a mountain? I assumed whippets were coming. So, all right, never mind. We're okay. We're, we're don't just rule anything out. Don't, 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 don't rule anything out. <laughs> oh, ah, Spencer, it's a cock and bull. I rule nothing out. Another experiment, however, one captured in just 34 short pages, interests me far more. The effects of hydrogen cyanide acid in its gaseous form. Anytime cyanide gets in, get, pokes his nose in there, I'm going to always go, hmm. That, that set just, off an alarm. <laughs> that one, oh, any of the eyes, just mm, really, uh, I get I get a little nervous there at the end. This compound was more commonly known at the time as prussic acid and was known well before its use as a tool of chemical warfare in World War One. I. I was about to say 1914 is when he published that article? Correct. And that's like the start of World War One. Like it was it was about sure. to pop off. In fact, it was discovered and isolated nearly 200 years before France, Italy, and the U.S. used it on the Central Powers in the mid-1910s. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me the good guys uh, Bob, uh, just dropped some chemical warfare there? Oh, honey. <laughs> it was it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, guys. We do all the things we accuse other people of. It's fun. It was separated from a pigment that I know, Nathan, you're a fan of. So you want to give me a guess? No, not that Prussian green. That's no Prussian blue. You were so close. I was so close, but I was thinking of the green. Why was it green that I was thinking of? Because was there a green one one time? We did an episode on green paint that was laden with arsenic. Yes, we did. It was arsenic. I get I get the random paints that kill people confused. I'm sorry. Prussian blue is lethal? In 1706, Prussic acid was discovered and separated from Prussian blue. That's actually where cyan in the word cyanide Ooh, comes from. God it's named. damn it, it's all coming together. And this is the thing, it probably all came together before, guys, but that's what drinking does for you. It makes you find new, <laughs> exciting adventures. 
<laughs> it is named, in fact, after the blue of Prussian brutes, where it's where cyanide comes from. Cyan, cyanide. So how do the Germans come into this? Well, I will be happy to tell you. But first, more paint history. Arsenic, <laughs> fan favorite from one of our previous episodes, uh, not only was used in the creation of two deadly shades of green later on, not only was used in the creation of two deadly shades of green later on, but was originally named for some uh, Syrian or Arabic word for this deep orange-red color. Uh, colors are poison, everyone. That's your takeaway here. It's all poison and paint all the way down. Colors are poison. Fuck colors. Don't paint. These are the things I'm learning. Uh, check out episode 67, Address to Die For. Well, origins aside, prussic acid was, like we said, a weapon in Barcroft's time. Like other poisonous gases that were banned by the Geneva Convention nearly a century ago, <laughs> current events, <laughs> prussic acid was one of many options tested for use in warfare and on rowdy civilians who want rights. <laughs> Barcroft was called to serve when World War I rolled around. He was significantly depressed uh, about the whole affair, feeling caught between two rights and wrongs of equal strength. On the one hand, his Quaker faith made him a pacifist at heart, but on the other, he felt he'd be of invaluable service to the Allies, what with his uh, great research on blood and gas and all that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Now, knowing it would be some contribution to the offense of the war, he took the plunge. By 1915, he was working for the Royal Army's Chemical Warfare Division, but not as a soldier, as a civilian. Barcroft was even invited to sit on the Allied Conference on Gas Warfare, then held in Paris. It's a big, love, big luxury. Love an Allied Conference on Gas Warfare. <laughs> you, go into, you go into GasCon? Yo, GasCon 2020! Woo! You, they have the testing booth where you go in and they just give you a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That shit will kill you. That's awful. We, that's a war crime. Andrew WK's playing on Friday. <laughs> Andrew WK would play Gascon. That does that does make sense. <laughs> Remember when he played E3? Remember when Andrew WK nope. opened for Rage 2? Oh my god, yes I do! Holy shit, Bethesda, you and maniacs. The, and, the, and his hype for the crowd was, y'all ready to rage? <laughs> and then goes into a fucking Boston-esque <laughs> keyboard solo. Like, yes, Andrew, I am ready to rage too. Thank you for asking. <laughs> God damn. Oh, the video game industry is a fucking nightmare. One of Barcroft's colleagues, British psychologist uh, Claude Gordon Douglas. Someone we haven't covered on this damn show before. Good. Invited Barcroft to visit a dressing station, basically a, a wartime hospital, you know, uh, where the legs are coming off, the heroin's getting passed yeah, around, all that I'm good stuff. Yeah, a lot of opium getting patted on people's arms, hacksaws coming out, trying to break world records, a lot of things happening. The station was a little far from Paris, though. In fact, it wasn't so much a hospital so much as the underground bunker in the city of Lou. It's about like 141 miles north of Paris. It's the front lines of the German offense at the time. German mortar fire plastered the city day and night. So Barcroft was escorted to the site with great care. Now, while Douglas was very cautious in guiding Barcroft on the right paths, uh, Barcroft seemed as far removed from the idea of danger as one could be. The underground dressing station was in close proximity to an infamously dangerous intersection in the city, one which was in direct line of sight to the German mortar crews stationed to the north. So while Douglas insisted that the two make haste and get down to this, you know, subway entrance, Barcroft literally stands in the middle of the intersection in broad daylight and starts pointing at various buildings, inquiring about local tourist hotspots. Okay, so we've now gotten another fun part of the cock and bull uh, 
equation in there that this guy's a fucking sociopath. There's a certain level of detached craziness here that, holy sh- Give this man an umbrella and he is absolutely uh, uh, ready to storm the Huns, Mary Poppins style. It's Digby again. Now, speaking of British gentlemen and the Germans, Douglas recalled the terror of watching Barcroft idle about in the middle of the road, knowing full well he had to be less than a quarter mile from where the shells were currently landing. All they had to do was just aim a touch higher and the two would have been dead. Instead, man, mortar fires. I've played worms, man. Weather's, you know, wind. I mean, it's hard to aim that goddamn bazooka. It really is. Instead, Douglas thought after the fact that the only reason the two survived was because the mortar crews may have been paralyzed by the sight of an English gentleman, complete with coattails and a bowler hat, what? just no! standing in the middle of a war zone. Stop it! He was not wearing like a full tuxedo and a top hat going, hello! Pip, pip, cheerio. Just, Standing I, in, in a crater, he might as well. Just, just, and what's that over there? <laughs> just drop like a full guy in, in full suit and tie regalia into Kandahar right now. And just like imagine what happened. Just just pure like, uh, do do we shoot him? What do we do at this point? Like, this is he confusing. They must have been so confused by how fucking asinine this man was that they didn't even think to shoot him. You assume, uh, no, at that point you assume it's like a mentally uh, mentally challenged person. You assume that there's there's some disability at play and you feel bad about it. You don't want to kill that person. That's that's rude. I think it's a ghost. <laughs> God damn it. This is a this is a full bed knobs and broomsticks where the Germans get the Germans get all confused by the ghosts marching at them. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> Throughout his career, Barcroft conducted self-experiments in which he pushed himself to the very edge of insanity and death. He referred to these as, quote, his borderland excursions. Oh, him and handsome Jack hanging out there in the loot and shoot. No, I get it. Some of Barcroft's earliest excursions included volunteering to be exposed to prussic acid. Why? Why ever? Why ever? The test initially included gassing animals like mice, rabbits, goats, dogs, and so on. Feeling as though the real results lied in direct human exposure, Barcroft offered to fill those shoes. In solidarity, I guess, Barcroft's venture into the gas was made alongside a, quote, large-ish dog. Um, a large-ish dog is confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't understand. The kind of, kind of big? Uh, uh, he's not Clifford, all right? He's, he's just not, on the big side. He's not a hefty chonker, but he's, he's a, he's a chunko. He's a thick boy. He's a thick boy. Okay, all right, I get this. He's a mighty lad. Why? Great question, honestly. I still don't know. <laughs> I just I just need to know why. Because they're trying to test the efficacy of normally when you do animal testing, it's let's let's put some Mary Kay in this dog's eyes, and if it dies, I guess we'll dial it back a bit. We gotta make sure this thing can't kill animals. Instead, you feel like if it kills a dog, you're like, all right, good to go. Let's send it on the people. I, this whole thing is very confusing because uh, if you're sending the dude in there, all you care about is what happens to the dude. Why does the dog need to suffer in solidarity? I guess you're right. Maybe this wasn't solidarity. Maybe they just hated that dog. That that's what this is. This is like a this is a Beethoven situation where that, 
that dog you, pissed on the shoes. Yes. And, hold on. They put Beethoven in a gas chamber? What did I miss? I mean, uh, things I've learned since we cockabled last. One, Beethoven was black. Two, apparently they want to put him um, in a gas chamber. I may be confusing the guy and the dog, but mm, you you figure it out. Once we recalled Beethoven, we tried to recall the plot of Beethoven, and I was under the impression it was about Tim Allen having to put down Beethoven, and then he has a change of heart. I Once again, Mason, it, it's like riding a bicycle. We're back to not knowing movies we haven't seen. Back to not knowing literally anything of use. Yes, good, 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 good. In solidarity, he goes in with the largest dog, and neither of the two wear respirators. Because why would they? Kind of defeats the point. <laughs> Guys, uh, see, this is the problem. We cannot release this in the current environment because all the goddamn no-mask-wearing idiots will be like, well, this guy sucked up mustard gas in there without no mask on. He's fine. Nathan, don't be silly. They don't know how to find podcasts. <laughs> God, they can listen this to the Joe Rogan experience. Fuck you. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that, that's for them. Now, within a minute and a half in the gas chamber, the dog was unresponsive and declared dead. Cool. Now, it was uh, it was at that time uh, that Barcroft still hadn't felt much of anything, according to his own reports, and so he just kind of stood up and walked out of the chamber with the dog in his arms. So, <sighs> neat. We developed a poison that kills animals. This was a fun test, guys. Y'all feel great about what we did here today? Goody. Well, it it maybe might have actually proved something. It developed a theory that certain species had unique resistances to toxins, and, and it wasn't directly tied to their overall size, though that did play a part in it. Uh, but if you compare similarly small animals, a mouse, I think, last a mouse lasted much longer than a rabbit did, comparatively speaking, compared to their weight. Let's just compare contrast. We put a dog in a gas chamber to kill it for fun, and the Soviets are sending Laika into space like a goddamn comrade hero. I mean, there's different levels of experimenting on animals, and one of them seems to be furthering human minds, and the other one's just gassing dogs for shits and grins. Not every animal in the experiment died, though. Though the majority did. In fact, the dog that Barcroft walked out of was placed in a, a, a dead dog pile, I guess. And the next day was found walking around the room in perfect health. Um, Physical health. Anyway, probably not mental. Hang probably. on now. Hang on now. That dog died and came back. We pet cemeteried that dog, and you're just all not. No one's going to acknowledge it. It. I, I believe they believe what happened was its its heart rate kind of went like a like a Jackie Chan like a like a James Bond sort of thing went down to an imperceivable low. And so they assumed it was oh, dead, put it in the pile, and it no, just recuperated. No, 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 no. Because we're gonna we're gonna run that back for a second because you. When it came to people who can, like, lower their heart rate to an imperceptible level, you've got, like, Buddhist monks and people that mm -hmm. are famous for doing that. But the two people you you jumped to were mm -hmm. Jackie Chan and James and, Bond. And if you can explain yeah. to me any causal link between those two figures, other than the fact well, that their names start with a goddamn J, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I got nothing right now. I'm so confused. Both of them are quite adept at being captured, but living. You know I, what I mean? But like, you, that, just, you said Jackie Chan, like, as a person. Like, are you telling me He's, Jackie Chan the he plays guy? Himself. Jackie Chan plays himself in a lot of movies, I'm told. You know, it's, uh... I don't... I don't... This, I think that's the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the cock and bull, all right? We're not, like, Roger... We're not a, a cinema... Cinema file show. But yet okay, you, nobody. Yet you 
you said confidently, like Jackie Chan and James Bond. None of them do that. There is no Jackie Chan movie where he pretends to be dead and lowers his heart rate and then punches his way comically out of a grave or something like that. It's not a thing. Have we, have we, hang on, hang on. We got to call up some Hollywood execs. Hold on. <laughs> God damn. I got a movie to pitch. Barcroft's efforts in the Prussic acid gas chambers were rewarded with medals from the British Army, and I believe this is where he was knighted to Sir Joseph Barcroft. I stood in some gas. My name's Joe. <laughs> I let a dog die, but then it did. But then it didn't. I brought him back like Lazarus. I'm unto a god. I pumped gas into this room. Where is your god now, Charles? Give me your crown. I am king. As for the gas, uh, before the war's end, they concluded that prussic acid was neither toxic nor dense enough and was easily blown away on a light breeze. Therefore, the chemical was abandoned for wartime use. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh. Okay. This was all for naught. So, so nothing. We accomplished. We came in with nothing. We left with nothing. We've accomplished nothing. In the 1920s, Barcroft would commit to another borderland expedition. This time. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Stop calling them that. In an airtight glass chamber. For six days. Hold on a second. He's now, fuck you. No, because now we're just doing David, now we're just doing Chris Angel, David Blaine stunts. God damn it. And I'm going to be upside down. <laughs> He's Houdiniing right now. This is ridiculous. The goal of this, Nathan, is they want to simulate the altitude of a mountain. They're going to they're gonna make it airtight, and for the okay. next six days, they're slowly shifting the nitrogen to oxygen ratio mm. until... He is at the equivalent of 16,000 feet. Now, now, okay, so let's hold on a sec. So 16,000, we, we want to simulate like he's at 16,000 feet. Um, mm -hmm. Couldn't they just go to a fucking mountain? His goal here was to demonstrate the unique observation that the human body was able to acclimate its blood oxygen supply depending on the altitude. He spent seven days in the chamber, and when the week was up, his skin had turned blue. Neat. Very neat. Very cool. Very good. Dabu dee, dabu die. Still, some of Barcroft's contemporaries weren't fond of the theory and rejected it on the premise of his equipment, activities, etc., etc. So, to get a live field example, a blue Barcroft led a research team into the Andes. Oh, the Andes! Oh, good! Where they would procure blood samples from both the American mining engineers who had been up there for months and even the natives, whose ancestors had lived at those heights for ages. Yes, let's say the Indies are pretty pretty high. So, see Quote, There was some difficulty, at first, in getting volunteers from amongst the natives, who had apparently got it in their heads that a party of foreign wizards had arrived in their midst for the express purpose of sucking their blood. Now tell me more about why these guys thought that uh, vampire wizards had shown up to suck their blood. Well, they got one volunteer to agree. So okay. this this one reluctant native gentleman follows Dr. Pride into the into the mobile lab and uh, his worst fears were realized when he sees all of the blood drawing equipment and vials of blood uh, immediately <laughs> turns tail and runs. <laughs> this volunteer was chased after um, and I shit you not one of these haughty English gentlemen remarks quote there goes prejudice pursued by pride. All right, to guys, a round the, of guffaws I imagine. The English all just need to be eliminated. Just gone. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> end them. Please give me that genocide for, for fuck's sake. Uh, they eventually got this this volunteer to calm down. They, they got him to give it a shot, after which numerous volunteers started pouring in, expecting the same financial compensation they had given the first one. So 
This did wonders, uh, not only for quelling dissent in the controversial theories against Barcroft's uh, blood and gas ideas, it also padded his resume as an unusual scientist, capable of completing these bold expeditions in record time, while others would have only just begun finishing the planning stages. So he is for sure a go-getter. We see this. I mean, yeah, he's definitely going to get his get himself in there and, and get his hands dirty in the tradition of our, our season three heroes. However, Barcroft's most dramatic excursion occurred in 1931 when he decided to investigate the effects of freezing on mental functioning. Oh, now I'm intrigued. You had my uh, interest. Now you have my attention. Something, something. He stripped naked and laid down on a table in a refrigerated chamber in the Woods Hole Research Center. Back to David Blaine shit. Good, 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 good. At first, he shivered and curled up to stay warm, and he found it difficult to maintain the willpower to remain in the room at first. He kept thinking, quote, I could just walk out of here now. But he preserved. Or he persevered. No, 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 no. He did preserve. He was preserving himself. <laughs> if you pour some salt on that boy, you're, you're just making man jerky. And after about an hour... A strange mental change began. Uh-oh. Quote, all sense of modesty disappeared. Uh-oh. Now suddenly, he lost any and all care if someone unrelated to the experiment were to walk in and, and find him naked. He stripped all of his underclothes as well. Are, are we getting to this Are we getting to this phenomenon where, like, when you get hypothermia, you suddenly are like, I want to get naked! Paradoxical undressing. Yes! That! That is exactly what was happening. Quote, the cold had turned him into a flagrant nudist. <laughs> love that one. I love that because when you think of nudist colonies, you don't think of like Greenland and the Arctic. You, you definitely think of Florida where it's, where it's hot and sweaty. As he uh, approached the final deadly stages of hypothermia, his body felt not only comfortable, but warm. Indeed, he was on death's doorstep, basking like a nude maniac in his little thermo coffin. Thankfully. A research assistant outside the chamber noticed something was amiss. <laughs> so, um, a research assistant noted a lot of things were amiss. <laughs> and rushed in with a blanket and a warm drink to save him. Barcroft survived his ordeal without ill effect, thanks to that sweet horchata, and lived to be 74 on March 21st, 1947. Almost my birthday. Barcroft died of a heart attack while racing to catch a bus. I mean, that just, it feels, every time- The final the, Borderland excursion. Every time these, like, psychos that will push themselves to death's door just for human knowledge die of something mundane like that, it just feels like such a letdown. Right? Like, you would have hoped John Stapp died riding, being the first man to ride the top thrill dragster without a seatbelt. I, I just, I want John Stapp, the only way John Stapp is allowed to die in my head cannon is strapped to a rocket trying to be the first man to get to the moon. With like, a, like without any other equipment. That's the only way that he could go out that would top his life. You've been listening to the Cock and Bull podcast, a history thing. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it. I want to, uh, I, you know what? I want to usher a genuine moment into the record of this podcast and make it clear that oh. I do thoroughly enjoy making this. Oh, um, yeah. My passions get split so wildly um, between doing a bunch of like weird YouTube projects that I'll do two episodes of and probably nothing more and other podcast ideas and this, that and the other. But uh, I always this is this is always my you always my number one. You're always my main squeeze. I, I want there, you. There, I'm stroking the audience's face now. There's something just 
it feels like a warm blanket that I I feel the need to take my clothes off for. Right. Th- this pot. It, it it never it never ceases to be. In- I've never done one of these and not enjoyed it. That said, we hope to to make more of these. Nate, you want to do another one? You want to do one more? <sighs> can I get more booze? You do one more again. Can I get more? You booze? can get. Uh, you can, I'll get more and you get more. Okay. All right. Let's take a let's take a booze break. Let's take a booze break. We'll catch you guys next time. I'm not